Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. We're going to read all the way through 39. It says, They sailed to the region of the lake of... Uh, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. We've got a community like that nearby here, don't we, somewhere? Just saying. But he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and they reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. There's a whole lot of stuff in this, in this one little story. I'm just, I'm just going to bring out three things, uh, three things to bring to your attention uh, this morning. I think they have a lot to do with us. And here's the first thing I, I, would, I would challenge you to see in the text. Uh, and it has to do with the, the power of the devil. I want you to see this this morning. The devil likes to use his power to set up a perimeter in our lives. The devil likes to use his power to set up a perimeter in our lives, limiting us so that we never experience fullness in life or abundance in life, okay? The devil likes to use his power to set up a perimeter in our lives, limiting us so that we never experience fullness in life. So in order to see this, we have to understand a few things. And we, we, we need to start here with this understanding, the devil's real, right? And it, that may sound silly to you, but you would be shocked how many people in churches today do not believe that the devil is real. Uh, many people in, in America today that consider them, themselves Christians, they believe in a place called heaven. Uh, they do not believe in a place called hell. They believe in, in Jesus, but they do not believe in the devil. They just don't think that he's real. Here's what the Bible would say. The devil is real. 
Uh, goes by other names, Satan, uh, Lucifer, uh, Beelzebub, but, but he's real. And, and this is what the Bible says. There was war in heaven at one point, and Lucifer uh, led a third of the angels in heaven in rebellion against God and, and his armies. And he lost. And he lost. And he was cast out of heaven. He was cast down to earth. And, uh, and, and that's the devil. Now, now, the Bible also says the devil's really powerful. Angels are powerful. Now, there's different rankings, evidently, so maybe those rankings are based on their power. We don't know. But we know in the Old Testament there were times where one single angel could wipe out an entire army. One angel, right? So, so we know that they're powerful. That was powerful. You also need to know he's mean. He's mean. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, right? But then Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life. Now, listen, having said all that, that's a scary picture, I, I now, now, remember, the devil's not God. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. But, but it's scary. And, and it's important that we understand the devil because this passage is, is dealing with, well, demonic possession, isn't it? This man is, is possessed, it says, by, by many demons. What are demons? Well, we believe that demons are, are, are these fallen creatures, right? These fallen spiritual creatures of whom Satan is the ruler. And so these, these demons, uh, our Bible says, are very powerful. And it also says these in particular are very violent. They're, they're very violent um, and uh, so, so violent that there's no earthly means by which this guy can be bound. You see that? Uh, shackles and, and, and chains. No, nothing can keep this man bound. But I want you to see this morning, maybe something you haven't seen. I want you to see the purpose of why Satan does this to this one individual. Maybe you've never thought about that before, but I just want to reveal that to you. And to, to get that, we're going to turn to a parallel text in Matthew chapter 8. And you can either turn or it's on your screen. It's Matthew eight twenty-eight, speaking of the same man, speaking of the same demons. It says, they were so violent that no one could pass that way. That no one could pass that way. And I want you to see it. There's so many evil spirits. Why? Why? Does Satan just want to ruin this one man's life? Is that the deal? Just all these evil spirits are coming just to, just to wreck this one man's life. Well, he clearly wants to wreck this man's life. But the scope of his mission is so much greater than that. The scope of his mission is so much greater than one man's life. It's so much broader than one man's life. Satan was using his power to prevent all of the people in this region, in this town, from ever having access to this area. Now, where's this area? What did it say? It said Jesus pulled up in a boat on the shore, right? On the shore, and this man was there. You ever thought about that? They're, they're, they're on the lake. Or, or, or the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Same place, same region. This is a fishing community, friends. That's what they did. In a fishing community, Jesus pulls ashore, and the demon-possessed man, who, who Matthew lets us in, won't let anyone come this way, is there on the shore of a fishing community. You following the the thought of a fishing community on the shore where the boats would be, there's a demon-possessed man so powerful, so dangerous that no one can come that way. The devil is using his power to set up a perimeter for these people, these people of this town. Fishermen, no access to the shore. 
His goal is to steal. His goal is to keep them, to to limit their life so they can't experience fullness. So they can't experience abundance. Many demons in one man preventing all of the people from experiencing abundant life. And you know what? He does the exact same thing with us. He does whatever he can to set up barriers between us and, and God. Barriers um, between us and, and God's goodness and God's love and God's fullness in our lives. He does whatever he can to establish a perimeter in, in our lives to limit us, to prevent us from crossing over to the kind of life that Jesus talks about. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, you might have it to the full. You might have it abundantly. I need you to hear me. Satan will do whatever it takes to keep you from that kind of abundance. He doesn't want you to think that that kind of abundance is possible. He wants you to think that Jesus was was just talking about heaven there. But he's not. Listen, Satan is real and he does hate you. And he wants to keep you from experiencing the kind of life that Jesus offers. So we've got to start there. Okay? Satan will do everything in his power to put up a perimeter in your life to limit you from experiencing the abundance that Christ has for you, okay? Second thing I want you to see, though, and this is the good news. Jesus has power and authority over the devil. And you know what? The devil knows it. Jesus has power and authority over the devil, and, and, and the devil knows it. If you look at verse 28, it says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. This verse uh, cracks me up a little bit. It really does. Because you've kind of got to understand the context. Because these demons know more about Jesus at this point than the disciples do. Right? I mean, they really, you, you remember what, what just happened. We just talked about the storm. And in the storm, and in the midst of the storm, they wake up Jesus. They're freaking out. And they're like, hey, hey, Jesus, we're going to drown. We're going to die. And Jesus is like, be still. And it's still. And then they ask a question. Who is this man? That's their response. Who is this man? That he even has authority over the wind and the waves. Who is this man that's on this boat? Who is this man that we're following? Who is this Jesus? And and the disciples still don't get it. They still don't know. But the demons do. The devil does, right? The disciples ask, who is this man? They're trying to figure it out. But the demons, the devil, know. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly what kind of power he possesses. Here's the story. Entire town living a limited life because the devil, via his demons, has used his power to set up a perimeter along the shore. The devil and and his demons have done that by possessing one man. What is the name of this man? His name is Legion. In Rome, according to their armies, a legion was made up of 6,000 men. Now, Mark, in his account of this story, would say there were 2,000 pigs. I don't care if it's 2,000 or 6,000, that's a bunch of demons, right? That's, that's a bunch of, of spiritual creatures that are really powerful. That, that's, a, that's a whole lot of power. But when Jesus pulls ashore and these demons see him, they, they say, uh-oh, <laughs> the game is up. <laughs> like, like, uh-oh, we are, we are in trouble. We're done here. We, we, we don't stand a chance against him. We can't stand against the, the son of the most high God. That's what they cry out. 
Sounds like a group of people that have been defeated before, doesn't it? <laughs> you ever wonder what that war in heaven looked like? You ever wonder if the angels are doing battle? And I mean, come on, there's two-thirds on God's side, and I just wonder if Jesus was like, out. Out. And they're gone. Because these guys, they understand the authority of Christ. These guys, we, now we're clueless, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're oh, oh, you can make it rain, you can make it stop raining, you can make the waves be still. Wait, who are you? These guys, they know exactly who he is. They've, they've been defeated before, and they know they're going to be defeated again. So they're like, please, please have mercy on us. The disciples ask, who is this? The demons declare, this, this is Jesus, son of the most high God. We don't stand a chance. We better get out of here. Which kind of brings us to the final part of the story. Which really is, is the people's reaction, isn't it? How do the townspeople react to that kind of deliverance? How, how do the townspeople react to that kind of freedom? Jesus has now restored their land. Jesus has, has now provided them with full access. Jesus has now given them the, the fullness that, that they were meant to experience. He's now provided them with Wait, how do they respond? Do they jump up and down? Is it, is it a spontaneous worship event? Do they build an altar to God? No. They ask him to leave. They ask him to leave. Because they're afraid. Which brings us to our last point. I just want you to see this this morning. It's true. You're not going to like it, but it is absolutely true. People are often more comfortable with their familiar, limited lives than the unknown, abundant life that Jesus offers. People are often more comfortable with their familiar, limited lives than the unknown, abundant life that Jesus offers. Why do so many people find themselves in places, in in positions in life where they know that their life is a mess, where they they know that they need to change, where, where they know that everything is definitely not okay, but they choose to stay there anyway? Think about addiction, domestic violence situations, generational sin issues. We've got a world full of examples of this. I mean, our lives are are full of examples of this, aren't they? Areas where we, we know that we're not experiencing abundance. We're experiencing far less than what God talks about in the Bible. But we just stay where we are because we know where we are. We're afraid of what we don't know. So why do we do that? Why do we choose to stay? Why do we ask Jesus to leave? Why? Two reasons. One is, is because where we are is familiar, isn't it? We know all the cracks and crevices, don't we? And we do. We, we absolutely. We are familiar here, Right? And, and, and that's the true, whether, whether that's we're talking about a, a victim, somebody that's being abused, 
They're in a relationship. They at least they at least they know what to expect in that relationship. They they know when it's time to walk on eggshells. They know what to expect. Same thing with addiction. I I, I know what that drug is going to do for me. I know what that bottle will provide. Now, I, I, know, I know the after effects too, but I'm familiar here. This is what I was raised in. This is how my family is. This is how my father was. I know this area, and we like the familiar, don't we? So that's the first reason that, that we, we stay in situations where we're not experiencing abundance is because we like the familiar. But the second reason we stay in situations where, where we're not experiencing abundant life is because we don't believe that God is really good. We don't. And you can say it all day, and you can high-five it with each other, and you can wear the Christian t-shirt, and you can text it back and forth to each other. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But you don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you would leave the familiar behind and walk into uncharted territories with Jesus. But we don't believe that God is good. We truly don't. We question His goodness all the time. We think that we know what is good. We think that we know what is best. But we don't trust that God knows what is best. You, you think about uh, that, that, that relationship. Well, well, if I give up this relationship, I, I mean, if I give it over to God, God's going to make me leave that person. God's going to make me leave this, and, and, and then I'm going to be all alone. No, you're going to be with God, and that's far better. That's far better. But it's unknown. Well, 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 I don't know if, 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 I, if I honestly give my, my whole life over to God, if I give my whole career over to God, I mean, he's going to make me like, move to Africa and be a missionary or something. Or he could make you stay right where you are and actually start loving your neighbor. Be the family that's an example when it comes to marriage, raising your kids. See, here's the truth about God. I know the unknown is scary. But you are limited. I am, and we are so limited. Friends, we've convinced ourselves that we're the smartest people on the planet. But just talk to your spouse and they'll, they'll let you in on a few details that maybe you're missing. We are limited creatures. And the truth of God's word is that God has something for us that is so far and above what we could ever have for ourselves. But we only get it when we trust him. And we only get it when we step out in faith. We only get it when we're done with the familiar. We're ready to let go. To let God have it all. If God ever asks you to leave something behind, I promise you it is because he has something far, exceedingly, abundantly better ahead. That's the truth of God. That, and that's not the prosperity gospel. That's the truth of God's word. Now, now that thing that's far, exceedingly, abundantly better may, may be him. It may not be a house or a car. It may be that you have a knowledge of him like you've never possessed before. And you finally have peace. Have, have you ever, anybody ever traveled to a third world country? Anybody ever really just done it? You got on a plane and... Jeff, how, how full of joy were some of the poorest people you've ever seen? 
convicted you, didn't it? So what's the worst that could happen? I stepped out in obedience and I lost all the stuff that I think makes me happy that truly doesn't. Maybe I just get joy. Wouldn't that be enough? At the end of the month, I'm going to go watch, you know, I'm going to go back to Uganda and I'm going to see some naked children running around somewhere, (laughs) no clothes. They might eat one meal a day. These kids are so full of life. They are so happy. Full of joy. I say, God, if, if, if that's joy, I want joy. If that's goodness, I want goodness. If that's love, I want love, right? God has something better for you, but you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. You've got to be willing to step out of the boat, okay? So um, what, what, do we, what do we do when it comes to all of this stuff, right? Uh, these townspeople, their, their reaction it should be joyous worship, but they're afraid. That should speak to us. It should speak to us, because it speaks to me. I might just be like them. So um, let's, let's start here. I, I think this text would challenge us first and foremost to understand just how badly the devil wants to keep you from the abundant life that Christ offers. Just how badly he wants to keep you from the abundant life that Christ offers. Um, I could ask this question in a room this size a hundred times. And, and I, could, I could have you close your eyes. I'm not going to do it. But privately in your heart, you could answer it. Are you experiencing abundant life right now? You know that 99% of the room is going to say no. Am I experiencing abundant life? Like, pretty good life. A lot of people are like, well, my life is good. But I say, oh, like abundance. When Jesus says a hundredfold, like, is that going on in your life? Spiritually, like, is stuff just crazy happening in your life? I think most people would say, ah. Not so much. Not so much. Why? Because you have an enemy that hates you. And and whether you've seen it or not, because we typically don't have spiritual eyes, he, he has set up boundaries and perimeters in your life trying to limit you from the goodness of God. It's going on. Absolutely is. Okay? That's the bad news. That's the bad news. You have a very real enemy. He hates you. If you're not experiencing abundance, there's probably some perimeters in your life. Probably unseen. You didn't even know they were there, okay? Because you've gotten so familiar with it. Remember uh, my first month here? It was a long time ago. um, And you walk into a church that's been doing stuff a certain way for so long, and people get familiar with things, don't they? I remember going to the, the place that we call the Welcome Center that is not in the center of anything, and it's not very welcoming. Um, and, uh, and, you know, but we call it the Welcome Center because that was the only place we had. The church wasn't designed this way, and you add on. And so it's like the place with the, you come in from the parking lot, the double doors down there, and there's a, like a little L-shaped thing. And, and, you know, and I remember going to the Welcome Center, and there were pamphlets there that were 16 years old. Why? Because we, we didn't even realize they were there anymore. Because we're so familiar. Because we're so familiar. Guys, here's what I'm going to say to you. There are probably areas that, that the devil has put up a perimeter. They've been restricted. And you haven't gone or even tried in so long 
that you honestly believe that's where your life ends. This town, that's where their life ends. They just didn't pass that way. Can you imagine? You just don't pass that way anymore. What, what, what if we just shut down 290 towards Austin? You just can't go that way anymore. Can you imagine? How's work going to be for you? How's the commute? Now we're taking back roads over and this way, and now all the back roads are full, and everybody that used to take the back roads is now mad with everybody else. But you know what? If you did that for 10 years, you'd know that 290 was always closed, and you'd always go the back way, and you'd just know, I can never go this way. There are areas in your life, believe it or not, that you honestly think are closed, and they're not. They're not. They're not. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God is good. God is good. God is good. It's the good news. God is good. (laughs) Say, how good is he? (laughs) All right, I'm going to tell you. Ready? (laughs) It is his character. His DNA, the DNA of God, is good. It can never not be good. Ever. God is good. It is His name. It's just like God is faithful. There is never a time that God cannot be faithful. Ever. There is never a time, ever, in His existence, which He is always existent, that God cannot be good because good is who He is. It's not something He does. Oh, Christians, I love you. You've bought into a lie. You've thought that God's goodness was something that he did. You've thought that when he blessed you, then that was good. You thought that when you obeyed, that he would be good. You thought that when your spiritual act was was on point and and, and you were doing it right, that then God would be good. You thought that if you didn't mess up, uh, then, then God would be good. You thought that you were living under the old covenant, but you're not living under the old covenant. You're living under the covenant that was poured in Christ's blood, and God declares his goodness He says, I'm forever good. My goodness isn't based upon your performance. My goodness isn't based upon the week that you had. My goodness isn't even based upon your obedience. I am good. Good is not something I do. Good is who I am. That's who God is. And if we don't get that, if we don't understand that God in his character is good, then we will never trust him. And if we never trust him, we will never experience him. If we can't trust that God is good, we can never step into him and experience his goodness. So nail this down. Just write it really big all over your paper a thousand times. You may have to go home. This may be your homework all week long. You wake up every morning and in your Bible, wherever you are, you write down, God is good. Right? Say, I'm reading Revelation. God is good. (laughs) I'm reading about the seven bowls of wrath. God is good. It is who he is. There is never a time that God is not good. There's never a time that God does not have goodness in mind for you. Ever. Ever. And that's not prosperity stuff, folks. That's deep theology. That's the attributes of God. We're going back to the holy ones that walked on different mountains than we did with J.I. Packer and those guys. 
who God is. God is good. Nail it down. Because he's good, this is what we get to do. It's pretty cool. We get to ask him to destroy every barrier that's keeping us from abundance. Okay? So, what is it? Where's the area in your life that you've declared off limits? I mean, it's been off limits for years. Where's that place spiritually that every time you go there, you've had to bust a U-turn? Because, oh, I forgot I can't go that way. Some, Some of you don't even go that way anymore because you know that that road is closed. What is it? What is it? What's that desire? What is that thing that you just have never had access to? Intimacy with God? Is it, is it, is it a prayer life? What, 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 what is it? What, what is that thing that you lack? What is that thing that you've longed to do? Is it teaching the Bible? Is it writing something? What is, what is that place that Satan set up a perimeter and said, I'm sorry, Jacqueline, you just can't do this. Psh, off limits. Because we've bought into that. But God, I can't do that. God, there's no way. Listen, unless we come to grips with the fact that we are the disciples that are still going, who is this Jesus? And we come to grips with the fact that the devil who sets up these perimeters to keep us from abundance knows exactly who this Jesus is. And that the devil declares, I want no part of you, Jesus, son of the most high God. Listen, these barriers don't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance with Jesus' power. They don't stand a chance. So ask Jesus to destroy every barrier that is keeping you from abundance. Pray with me this morning. Father, um, thank you.